I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, flip to the inside page there, the memory work. Uh, this week from 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And then the catechism for the week, the table of duties, uh, instruction to widows. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. 1 Timothy 5, 5 to 6. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful God, protect us from all harm and danger, that we, being ready in both body and soul, may cheerfully accomplish what you would have us do. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Man, there's just like something about the way... So, so if... Uh, so, you know, we mentioned a number of weeks ago the difference between the one-year lectionary and the three-year lectionary. Uh, and the collects, so the prayers in the one-year lectionary are all also centuries old, written by people who like, spent their whole time reading and ingesting poetry. And so there is a beauty to those prayers. And they were, they were all translated by, uh, by Thomas Cranmer, who was an Anglican responsible for the Book of Common Prayer. Um, but who had a knack for translating things into English and had a very good grasp of the English language, uh, such that his, transla his translations are beautiful and poetic. Um, but in the three-year lectionary, so during the, like, during the festival half of the church here, so from Advent to Pentecost, the collects are just the same as the collects in the one-year lectionary for those Sundays. Then when we get to the summer, they wrote new collects to try to match them to the readings, and they just don't have the same, I don't know, beauty, flow, Sounds nice. Uh, they, they just don't have that. And so like, I was reading. I'm glad I, I didn't. See, this is why you have to prepare. This is why you can't just walk in on Sunday morning and, without having looked at any of the propers before. Uh, because you're going to run into something that sounds bad or you dislike or you're not ready to say it. Uh, so, I, so I always prepare. I, I always go into the church and, and read through. I don't go through the stuff that's the same every week, every week. But I... But I do go through all the proper, so everything that changes week to week. Uh, mostly just so I don't sound like an idiot if I get tongue-tied. Um, but anyway, so I was reading through the collect, and I'm like, this is like so 20th, 21st century American, right? That we may cheerfully accomplish what you want done. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the way we talk out on the farm. 
What's dad want done with the hogs now? Uh, I'm like, so what is this? So, so I go back to my computer and I change it to uh, that we may accomplish those things you would have us do. It's not that beautiful, but I think it sounds better than those things you want done. So, uh, so there you have it. And so I, I adjusted it just now too. But it's published throughout the Synod in all our publications like this, so that's just the way it is. Um, but it does prove that in 2006, when we were writing these things, we didn't have nearly the beautiful grasp on the English language that Thomas Cramer did back in like the, probably what, the 17th century when he was right, when he was compiling the Book of Common Prayer. That being said, Cramer's not, I mean, he's not a Lutheran, so, I mean, we have to fix his colleagues sometimes because he like doesn't actually completely believe in justification by grace through faith and his comments reflect it. So we've got to, we've got to nudge the language here and there because you, you get some ideas that if we just, you know, obey the law good enough that we might be saved. So, you know, you do have to, you know, we have to, we had to, you know, we had to fix those things. But he did have a much better grasp on the English language and its beauty than we do. So there you have it. I mean, yeah, but who did, if you believed anything, if one regime didn't cut off your head, the next was going to. Especially because the previous regime uh, was usually overthrown by the current regime. Uh, what a time to be alive. So, you know, the best, if you didn't want to lose your head, it's just best not to believe much of anything. Um. All right. Uh, a few announcements here. I mentioned it in church, but it's worth repeating. Church Family Sunday is next week. So divine service is at 9.30. Uh, so that means if you're an 8.30 service go and you show up at 8.30, um, you won't miss church. You'll be an hour early. You can help us, you can help us set up, come get chairs and whatever they need set up in the gym here or something. But you won't miss church if you show up at 8.30. Uh, if you show up at 11, you walk in just as everyone else is walking out of church. Um, and, so, uh, and so please, especially if you're an 11 o'clock church goer, mark it in your calendar, uh, do what you need to do. Um, make sure that you're here at 9.30 and not at 11. But if you get here at 11, you'll be like just in time for the party. So, uh, I mean, you won't miss everything, just, you know, you miss church. So. The most important part. Thank you. Um, so Sunday school confirmation began August 27th. That's kind of like a misnomer. Like, Sunday school's been going on, but we reassigned classes for Sunday school and they, you know, new quarter, new teacher, new church year, or new school year. So that all starts up on August 27th. Uh, there will be sign-ups for that stuff next week at Church Family Sunday. Registration links in the way. Now confirmation has been on hiatus during the summer. And that will start up again on August 27th. So if you're a parent of a 7th or an 8th grader, I think all the 7th and 8th grade parents I see here have their kids on already. So uh, good, good job to you. Um, but if you know other parents of 7th and 8th graders, tell them to sign up for confirmation. Because uh, if you sign up, that saves me uh, the phone call that I'm going to have to make in the list, begging people to sign up for confirmation class, which is my, one of my tasks for this week. Uh, also, if you have uh, children in seventh or not seventh, if you have children in like fifth grade through high school who are who would be interested in being acolyte, uh, now's the time to let us know uh, because acolyte training is in two weeks. Uh, also on August 27th, it'll be in the youth group. We'll have pizza. Uh, we'll have a chance to, um, we'll, we'll train the new ones, uh, refresher on the expectations for our returning acolytes. Uh, and so please, please let us know. It's, it is, of course, an honor and privilege to serve as acolytes, and we would like to have as, 
uh, we would like to include as many of our, of our young people as possible in that. Um, new member of adult catechesis class starting uh, September 9th, taught by Pastor Clemmer at 9 a.m. Uh, on Saturdays through, I think, November 11th it is. Um, so uh, if, you, uh, if you know something, if you uh, would like, if you're not a member and would like to become a member, please make sure you're signed up for that class uh, at the church office. Uh, you know someone who should be taking that class, who, uh, who would be, a, you know, who, who should be taking new member class at Bethany, uh, refer them to the church office. Or if you just want a refresher on, like, you know, if it's been 30 years since you were confirmed and you can't recite the catechism anymore and you've kind of forgotten a lot of that stuff, take the class again. Um, uh, it'll be good. It'll be, it'll be good for you, right? I mean, learning the catechism is always a good thing. Um, and and if, if you have current members in that class, it's certainly an encouragement uh, to, uh, to any new folks, right? That, uh, uh, you know, that there's, that there's other people, folks there, learning with them, supporting them. Um, so... Uh, so if, you're, if you feel like you're up for a refresher on the, on the catechisms and the basics of doctrine, go ahead and sign up and take the class. Uh, Matt Carlson's ordination installation is in a week from today at 3 p.m. at Our Savior in Joliet. Uh, if you're like me, you, know, you forgot to RSVP for the meal that we were supposed to RSVP for, like, by Friday. But that's okay, because I'm going to, like, email today, and they'll probably still take it. Uh, um, so the service is at 3, so the ordination and installation, the service is at 3. Pastor Clemens preaching. Uh, so uh, Pastor Schumacher is preaching next week on Sunday morning. So if you if you get done with church and think, man, I really miss Pastor Clemens preaching, then you can go to church on Sunday afternoon at Our Savior in Joliet and, and hear Pastor Clemens preach. I think this is probably the first ordination he's ever preached. Because I think he told me at my ordination that mine was like only the second ordination he's been to. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Sue Stranowski um, uh, is asking for a ride to Matt, Matt's ordination. So if you're going that way and, uh, and could potentially give uh, Sue Stranowski a ride, uh, if you have her information, you can contact her directly. Uh, if not, let me know and I'll, I'll put you in touch with Sue and, and we can and we'll help get that arranged. And finally, um, we're trying to start, up, start back up the College Parents Care Group. Uh, so if you're a parent of a college student or uh, please contact Pastor Plummer or Baton, and we're going to try to start activating that group and getting them uh, going with some activities this year, both to, uh, in support for the parents and support uh, for our college students. Any other announcements uh, that would be worth for our time this morning? All right. So this is uh, so next week is Church Family Sunday. So there's not I don't I don't think there's Bible class, right? Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, if there is, I'll have to. I'll, I'll be ready to teach something. But so next week being Church Family Sunday, there's no Bible class, and the week after that, um, I'm back with the confirmation students. So I think, I think Pastor Clemmer's going to start doing adults again, unless Pastor Schumacher does. Someone, someone in two weeks will be here to teach, I'm sure, but it will not be me. Um, so if you remember, we only ever got through the sermon in the liturgy, which is only about the first half of the liturgy. So, um, so we can try to crash, cor we can try to crash course our, our way through the rest of it. But I think what I'm going to do is just try to point out um, a few highlights. So if we remember, the service is divided. It's it kind of, you know, 
if you, if you want to think of it as like a journey, there's kind of two mountains. And so this, you have the first one is the service of the word. And, and the uh, reading of the Holy Gospel is the uh, high point of the service of the word. And then you have the service of the sacrament. This marker is junk. Service of the sacrament. And it also has a high point. Um, so I just want to start there and we'll kind of, we'll go from there to, to blitz through the service of the sacrament today. So what is, if you had to, just had to guess, maybe you know, what's the high point of the service of the sacrament? You guys are good, yeah. Words of institution is too long to write, so I'm going to write verba, and you'll know what that means. From the Latin for word, verba domini, the words of our Lord. Um, so the verba, the words of institution are the high point of the service of the sacrament. And you know, that's very clearly, uh, so thematically, uh, we can understand why that's the high point, because what's going on uh, with the words of institution? What's happening there? Why would we, why would we make that such a big deal? Yeah, because Christ comes down to us, right? So Christ, um, so he set aside his pastor uh, to do this for the sake, to, uh, to uh, say these words, uh, to celebrate the sacrament, administer the sacrament for the sake of his people. And through the words that are being spoken by the pastor whom Christ has set aside for the purpose, he himself is making bread and wine to be his body and blood so that he actually uh, bodily dwells on our altar, right? We see only bread and wine, but by faith we know it's the body and blood of Jesus. Um, and that is a very important thing. Now along with the verity, you might also say then the high point, also uh, the, actually the distribution of the sacrament to the faithful. That's also very important. That's actually how we uh, take hold of the, of the uh, uh, that's actually how we receive the benefits of the body of Christ. But it is the words of institution that are the high point. So, um, we actually, so we, we, do, we do numerous things to show forth the words of institution as the high point or the most important thing that's going on during the service of the sacrament. What are, what are some things that you, that, that you see happen when we, when we have the words of institution? So there's chanting. There's chanting throughout the service of the sacrament, but um, and I can't speak for the other guys, but maybe what you notice is that especially during the words of Christ in the verba, I slow the chanting way down. I don't just go, take me, this is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now, if my goal were to get done with the church as fast as possible, I'd do that, right? Uh, but these are the most important words uh, that are going on, right? So I slowly go, take me, this is my body, which is given for you, etc. right? Do the same thing with the... Uh, the same thing during uh, the words of Christ uh, in the consecration of the cup. Right, so we have chanting, and it's slowed down and accentuated. Uh, what else is going on in the, during the consecration? And again, the three pastors do it a little bit differently, so it doesn't really help. The, uh, but, but we all do some similar things. There's bowing and genuflecting, right? Um, so the pastor with the 27-year-old knees uh, genuflects, and the pastors with significantly older knees bow. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, 
Oh, the printer's these early for uh, Anyway, right, so, um, right, so, so again, right, uh, and, and what bowing and kneeling, I mean, bowing, bowing is, just a, is, is just a diminutive form of, of, of kneeling, which all of these are actually just forms of laying prostrate, right? Um, they're ways to indicate the same thing. What is being indicated by the bowing or the genuflecting? Yeah, we're in the presence of God, right? Uh, so, I mean, what, what does everyone in the Bible, at least everyone who's faithful, what do they do when they're in the presence of God? They actually fall on their face. Actually, what do a lot of people do when they're in the presence of a mere created angel? A lot of them fall down in worship because they're overtaken. And then the angel's like, no, don't do that. Worship God. I'm not God. Um, and right, so if we've got God in the flesh in our presence, right, um, it, is, it is a notable thing, right, that we actually put our, like physically assume the posture of worship as one who's in the presence of God. Um, all the pastors do this, do something else, maybe slightly different. There's also what we call the elevation, right, where it's actually the holding up of the host and the holding up of the cup, right, um, to show for right, to, so that the people, first of all, so that they can actually see uh, that we actually have. We're not just up here, like, waving our hands around over a table, right? We actually have bread here, and this bread I hold up is now the body of Christ. Uh, and so, you know, that gives us a moment we can actually recognize it in thanksgiving and adoration, give thanks to Christ for his gracious presence here. So all these things are going on during the words of institution. Um, and, and, and you'll notice, right, uh, the pastor usually will gesture, pick up a piece of the bread when he says, take, took bread, or uh, he took the cup after supper, right? All these things, uh, because we think that those are, these are important, not only because uh, this is how Christ did it, and he says this do, uh, but also because these are important for the faith of the people um, who are gathered to receive these gifts, that they, that they see that we're doing all of this in accordance with the institution of Christ um, is important for their faith. All right, so the words of institution, the high point uh, in the sacrament of the altar, which means everything before that in the sacrament of the altar is really building up to the, in to the institution, and everything after that is, 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 is flowing from the words of institution. All right, so the first words, so we kind of have a bridge between the sermon and the, uh, and, and the, uh, and the service of the sacrament. There is kind of a bridge that's, it's kind of hard to figure out if it's part of the service of the word or service of the sacrament. But in between there, you have the prayer of the church and, and, the, um, and the offertory. Uh, and so those are, they're kind of in between. They are, they are just, <laughs> this sounds bad, they're kind of a low point. I mean, I don't want to say that like they're important, but they are, they are kind of that low bridge where we cross the threshold from service of the word to service of the sacrament. Um, but the service of the sacrament starts properly speaking with what? Does anyone know? The Lord be with you, right? Um, so remember, the words of institution are spoken and administered by the pastor whom Christ has called into that place. And if you remember from a number of weeks ago, the function of the uh, salutation is to recognize that the pastor who's standing in front of you is, is a chance for the congregation to recognize that this indeed is the man that Christ has put here to do these things on our behalf. All right, so uh, so the Lord be with you. I mean, if it was just a holy howdy, as some call it, uh, we wouldn't need to do it three times in the service or more, right? Once it suffice, we do it at the beginning and we don't do it, right? Um, 
But again, we do it before each part of the service when the pastor is doing things that are unique to his office as pastor. Uh, right? So he does, it, he does it before the calling. Historically, the pastor does a salutation again right before the reading of the gospel. And he does it here at the preface, right? Uh, the Lord be with you, and the, and the people say, and with thy spirit, right? Uh, yes, Luther calls it a mini-ordination, right? Uh, that you are indeed the man that God has put in this place to do this for us, so get to work, right? Uh, yeah, nice. Yeah. How long do you want me to talk about that? <laughs> Yeah, so um, that was like in an effort to be to like make the language less archaic sounding, and that's one of those things where like we, we just thought we blindly followed the trends of the Roman Catholics. It's a weird thing Lutherans do. The Roman Catholics have a weird idea, and we think, oh, well they're doing it, we should do it too. So the Roman Catholics made that point switch, and also with you, and so the Lutherans started you know in the 60s and 70s, Vatican II and the fallout of that. So the Lutherans started doing it, then the Roman Catholics were like. Ooh, that's a, that was bad. Let's go back to and with your spirit. So now the Roman Catholics are all back saying and with your spirit. Um, but when we uh, but when we do when we when we follow them with the weird new thing, when, when they decided it was a bad idea to take it back, we should back. Huh? That's how it goes. There's an old saying: Rome coughs and uh, Rome coughs and Wittenberg catches a cold. Um, right? Um, so so there you have it. So that's that's kind of how it came in. Um, and, and when it came in, there was that was kind of at a point where um, the study of the liturgy, uh, the focus on the liturgy is important, was kind of at a low, right? Uh, what was most important about the liturgy was not confessing. The liturgy, uh, among all the other things it does, it teaches for sure, but the liturgy, the way it's carried out, confesses that we understand ourselves to be in the presence of a holy God. And that there is something set apart about this place and this time. And that for this place and this time, we conduct ourselves in a unique way. Um, but, but, but again, in the 70s, it was kind of the opposite, right? The, the idea was to make church feel like, you know, kind of like a living. I mean, I don't mean that pejoratively. That was just kind of cool. Um, in order to make people feel at home and comfortable. And so uh, weird language was out. Um, less, you know, more... Uh, modern forms of music, all that stuff was, was toward a goal, right? Uh, the, the primary goal was no longer to confess that we are in the presence of a holy God, but rather to confess that, we're, that, that this is a place you can be comfortable. Um, and so that, that sort of language comes in in those sorts of elements. Uh, and so now in the LSD, we have three different responses to the Lord be with you, depending on which order of service you're in. If you're in seven, three, it's in with my spirit. Uh, if you're in Matins and Vespers, it's and with your spirit. And then everywhere else, it's and also with you. I'm fine with either. My preference, because, because I'm a traditionalist, you see, and I like old things, um, because I think old things are pretty. Um, I think and with thy spirit is absolutely, like, and, and that's why I do it. Uh, and with thy spirit, it just sounds the best, it flows the best, has the best ring to it. Uh, I'm also super fine with and with your spirit. It confesses the same thing and just updates the language. And also with you, really, it doesn't distinguish the uh, office of the ministry the way the way and with your spirit or and with my spirit does. All right. Anyway, so beginning of service of the sacrament, we have the Lord be with you, 
and with your spirit, and also with your spirit or whatever. Um, so we have that. Uh, understanding that the pastor is the one that God has set aside to say, specifically in this case, the words of institution. All right. Um, after that comes uh, lift, uh, the lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Um, that's kind of has a mysterious... It's not, uh, the, uh, the source of that is a little, um, it's not quite as clear, but uh, it's, it, it, it's from the ancient, most ancient of liturgies. Um, and the original response wasn't, we lift them up to the Lord, they are with the Lord. Like, we have them with the Lord. Our hearts are with the Lord. Um, so the idea of the lift up your hearts, meaning um, we are now no longer dwelling on earthly things, but rather what's happening in our presence is heavenly, right? Christ um, um, the, the hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence, or uh, Wide Open Stand the Gates, uh, picture this very well, right? These hymns paint a picture for us as the bottom of heaven dropping out, and Christ descending to earth, flanked by angels, by cherubim and seraphim, who veil their faces and sing at his presence. Uh, you know, absolute grandeur and majesty, right? That, that in the sacrament, we are actually, we have heaven on earth, right? We are not here to do merely earthly things, but there are heavenly things. Uh, taking place here. So lift up your hearts. We have them with the Lord, right? Uh, our hearts are with the Lord as we um, as we receive the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course, let us give thanks to the Lord our God, right? Um, already at the beginning, we're giving thanks to God for uh, for the sacrament, even before we receive it, right? And, uh, and it is meet and right. It is good and right. Uh, so to do that we give thanks to you, O Lord. So that's those three things. We call it the preface dialogue. It's it's the beginning of the Eucharistic liturgy. Everyone throughout Christendom would have recognized that for many years. Um, uh, so, we have, so we have this preface dialogue between the pastor who's standing up as Christ um, and, and the congregation. Um, again, to prepare, preparing us uh, to, uh, to, receive, to receive the gifts of Christ's body and blood. Then follows the proper preface. And the proper preface is called the proper preface because it tends to change. Now, in the green season in the summer, the proper preface is pretty standard. Uh, we give thanks to Almighty God. Or, uh, it is truly good, right, Sanitary, that give thanks to you uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on this day, you know, the first day that we go over came back from the grave by his glorious resurrection, open to us the way of everlasting life. But you'll notice that the proper preface has changed throughout the year. Um, I really love, my favorite is the one from Holy Week, where it talk, starts talking about trees, right? That, you know, that, we give thanks to you, Almighty God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who overcame, who has subjected himself by taking on the form of the serpent, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And that the serpent, who overcame by the, who overcame by the tree of the garden, might likewise by the tree of the cross be overcome. Right? That's wonderful, right? So the proper preface is actually setting um, the, the sacrament, the Lord's Supper, in the context of, of the church here, right? That the, that the Lord's Supper is actually actually gives meaning and actually um, has something to do with every part of the church, right? That, that the Lord's Supper is actually, actually like, is connected even all the way to Advent, right? Christ comes and takes on human flesh, not only to die and rise again for our sin, but he takes on human flesh, right? you know, we celebrate the incarnation during Advent, Christ taking on our flesh, in order that he might give us his flesh and blood to the grave. If Christ doesn't take on flesh and blood, then we don't have the sacrament of the altar because we don't have his flesh and blood to eat and to drink. Um, so the proper preface connects, connects the sacrament of the altar to all these things in the church. 
Um, and it always ends, uh, that beautiful phrase, uh, Therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, and then we have the song, right? Uh, again, all preparing us, all preparing us, getting us ready for the, for the words of institution, right? All of these are preparatory, uh, but we understand that we sing the songs with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven. Uh, because does anyone remember what part of the scriptures the songs that the holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabbath of heaven and earth are full of thy glory? Does anyone remember where that's drawn from? It's Isaiah 6. Isaiah, his call narrative, you might say. Uh, he's given the vision of the kingdom of heaven. He sees the Lord enthroned. Uh, and when it says the Lord, it's Jesus with a uh, robe that fills the temple courts. And, uh, and he sees seraphim with their, eye, their faces, um, their feet covered, flying. And one seraphim calls to another, praising the Lord, says, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. Have the whole earth is full of your glory. All right, and then the, then the rafter shaped, right? So again, understanding that what's happening in the sacrament of the altar is that we're actually brought into the throne room of God where the body of Christ dwells, right? Uh, and so it's only fitting for us to cry out in the same way that the angels do. Uh, but then we immediately switch over to, the, where does the next part of the song twos come from? The Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Palm Sunday, and they're quoting, of course, the prophets, Zechariah specifically, um, right? Uh, you know, they realize the, the, the crowd is confessing that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, right? But so we slip it, right? Uh, because we're not exactly walking up into heaven to partake of the Lord's Supper, but heaven is rather coming down to us, right? So we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Blessed is Christ who comes down to us in the name of the Lord to save us from our sins, right? That's why he comes. And so we shout out, we shout out with the Palm Sunday crowds and with the tr whole church, we shout, Hosanna in the highest. And what's, what's Hosanna mean, anyone remember? It means save us, right? Save us now. There's urgency to it. Hosanna. That not at the end is Hebrew. It's like, uh, please, get, get on with it. Do it quickly. Uh, this is something we want. It's the particle of entreaty if you care about the yeah. I think it also has to do, right, so the idea, right, that Hosanna to the highest, right, our cries actually come up to heaven, right? So we're asking, right, um, it, it is reminiscent of, like, the angels and the, like, glory be to God in the highest, right? That, uh, so it's a recognition, right, that our salvation must come, not from ourselves, but it must come from God on high. Um, and I do think there is a reference here that the salvation that Christ gives us is not salvation, I mean, we have salvation while we live on earth, but we're not actually saved for this earth, we're saved from this life, for eternal life with God in heaven. And so if we're going to be in God's presence, atonement is made on the cross, but the blood must be deposited in the presence of God in Christ, right? Just as the priest in Leviticus had to go into the Holy of Holies to deposit blood on the... Uh, on the mercy seat to make atonement, right? He had to go in the presence of God. So Christ actually, uh, you get this in Hebrews, it's beautiful. He actually goes up into the heavenly throne room and deposits his blood there, right? So our salvation is actually, full, you know, it's actually made by the highest blood, and it's also made, like, even locatively, location-wise, made there. I think it's, yeah, absolutely beautiful.
So we cry out for salvation, knowing that Christ is coming specifically for that purpose. Right? And uh, here's the sermon, right? That's, uh, that's what makes the, the song too sung by those of true faith, right? Um, we're not crying out for earthly miracles. We're crying out like Peter was, right? Lord, save me, right? We need saving. Um, and so then after that comes, uh, comes the Lord, after the Sanctus is the Lord's Prayer. And there is a real way. I, I really like the order we have it in setting three and the way we're doing it even in setting one and two, where the Lord's Prayer comes right before uh, the words of institution. I really like having them together um, for a couple reasons. Uh, there is a sense in which the Lord's Prayer has, at times in the church, been thought of as part of the words of consecration, right? That, that this prayer... Um, but even if we don't have to think of it that way for this to be the actual, the most beautiful arrangement of this, right? Um, because the things we pray for in the Lord's Prayer are ultimately given to us. Um, they'll ultimately be given to us in salvation, but they are given to us in the sacrament of the altar. So to have the prayer where, you know, you know hallowed be thy name, right? Uh, thy kingdom come, right? The kingdom of God coming, thy will be done. And uh, the will of God... The good, uh, the good and gracious will of God is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or let his kingdom come. And when he does what? When he keeps us firm in his word and faith until we die. All right, catechism class starts on September 9th. <laughs> um, right? Um, so God keeping us firm in his word and faith, right? And how, what, I mean, what's one of the benefits of the sacrament of the altar? What strengthening of faith, right? Um, so that's being answered in the sacrament of the altar. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, Luther says it has to do with the support and needs of the body, and that's not wrong, but it also has to do with those things by which the soul lives, right? That our soul needs daily nourishment, right? That we actually have bread by which God is feeding our souls here. Um, so we have that in the sacrament of the altar. And forgive us our trespasses. It's in the sacrament of the altar. Um, rest, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, right? Um, I mean, both of those, uh, right? Uh, lead us not into temptation. Uh, uh, that God, we pray that God would guard us so that uh, we would not be led into false belief, despair, or other great shame and vice, right? The Lord's Supper is certainly accomplishing that. Um, um, deliver us from evil. We pray that God... Um, we pray in this petition in some that our, that our Heavenly Father um, would deliver us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and take us from this veil of tears to himself in heaven, right? Um, so we're praying about a Christian death. And if you remember, uh, and this, what we, one of the things, again, we believe about the sacrament of the altar, and this is uh, confessed, especially by the dismissal, right? The body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Strengthen and keep you steadfast in the one true faith unto what? Life. Unto life everlasting, right? The Lord's Supper is not just for here and now. The Lord's Supper is looking on toward Christian death and resurrection, right? Um, and, and one of the most important things we do for a person on their deathbed is we bring them the Lord's Supper, right? We bring them the gifts of Christ to prepare them to die with a good conscience, uh, protected from the snares of the evil, right? So we have the Lord's Prayer, and then, you know, for thine is the kingdom, that's just the doxology, right? Um, so we have the Lord's Prayer. All these things we're asking for, and then we have the Lord's Supper. We see God's immediate response to this prayer when the pastor says, Our Lord Jesus Christ, 
In order to answer this prayer for you, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And through those words, as we well know, Christ makes the bread and the wine to be his body and blood. And then the pastor um, immediately after the, uh, after the uh, consecration of the cup then says what? The peace of the Lord be with you always, right? Um, uh, that uh, in the world you will have trouble, uh, but take heart, Christ has overcome the world. And here is a peace, a lasting peace. Not, uh, Jesus says to the disciples in the upper room, uh, of course, the place where he institutes the Lord's Supper. Uh, when you read the upper room narrative in John, you'll notice that it's missing the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, but that, but, 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 but God has given us all four Gospels. So we already know from the first three that that is the time at which Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And so when we read the upper room narrative in John uh, 13 through 17, that should all be read in view of the fact that this is the context in which Christ institutes the sacrament of the altar. Um, and so we, we don't have to try to think, oh, well, this, what John writes about the upper room is somehow less sacramental. No, it's even more sacramental. He just assumes you know it, right? Um, and so in the upper room, we have this beautiful, this, beautiful, uh, this beautiful consoling words of Jesus where he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And the disciples who have likely just received the Last Supper, the body and blood of Jesus, hear that. It's, it's, it's beautiful, right? That, that this is true peace. Not as the world gives. Peace as the world gives um, is, is superficial. It's, it's fake. And, and what they mean by peace is uh, there's a lack of arguing or trouble for the moment. But the peace Christ gives us in the Lord's Supper is true peace that lasts forever uh, because it's uh, the peace of a good conscience um, that, is, that is brought about by the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with the Father uh, that we receive through the body and blood of Jesus. Right? So, so right, um, we don't say, you know, we don't tell people, um, we raise, when we raise the host in the cup and say, the peace of the Lord be with you always, um, we don't, we, don't, we don't have an invitation where we say, okay, everyone, now is the time. The supper is ready. Come to the banquet. Um, but saying the peace of the Lord be with you always and holding up the body and blood of Christ in front of them accomplishes the same thing. Do you desire peace, true peace with God, forgiveness of sins and a good conscience? Then come nowhere else but here. This is where true peace may be found. And we don't say, and also with you too, the peace of the Lord be with you always, right? Uh, we're not, this isn't a prayer that's being accomplished verbally. This peace is being given through the body and blood of Jesus. And so the congregation doesn't at this point say, oh, and also with you, pastor. The, the right response to the peace of the Lord be with you always is, amen. Yes, it shall be so. I believe that this is the body and blood of Jesus and that it forgives my sins. Therefore, I have peace with God. Amen. That is the correct response. And then we join John the Baptist 
and we sing the final of the ordinaries, uh, when we sing um, the, the on you stay, O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. And we sing it, we sing it three times. And of course it's beautiful, right? Um, because we, we recognize that, um, that Christ is the Lamb of God, which means he was, he's come for sacrifice, right? That's what John was proclaiming when he saw Jesus on the banks of the Jordan and said, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Lamb means sacrifice and bloodshed. Lamb aren't useful for atoning in any other way except that they shed their blood, right? So, um, so we, again, are recognizing that Christ is the sacrifice um, by which uh, our sins are forgiven. Uh, and this isn't very common, but there's been a couple parishes. So you know how we hold up the body and blood of Christ when we say the peace of the Lord be with you always? Um, I know a couple pastors who will continue to hold it up throughout the entire army state, right? And, and, and allow the people to fix their gaze upon the body and blood of Christ while they sing, O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy upon us. And I think that's a beautiful thing, but it does make distribution take longer. All right, so then we have the, then we have the distribution formula. Um, I don't do what I call the narrative distribution uh, when I distribute. I don't go to one person and be like, take, eat. This is the body of our Lord. I, I say the exact same thing to every person because I want every person to hear these, what I think are very important words. The body of Christ given for you, right? And uh, I confused a few people, I think, the first time I was here because uh, they had their hands out and I wasn't immediately putting it down in their hands. And they're like, I, they, like, I think they thought I was going to try to stick it right in their mouth. And they're like, I was like, don't worry, I'm going to put it in your hand. But I actually hold it up in front of, in front of your face when I say the body of Christ. Uh, I get a chance, right, to see this right here, the body of Christ given for you as I put it in here. Every person hears that, that they are receiving the body of Christ that is given for you. And the same, the same with the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. Uh, I, that's what I want to hear when I receive the sacraments. Uh, that's not to condemn those who do the narrative style, but like, um, if all I hear is like, take this is, and then the pastor's three people down by the time he says body of Christ, I, that's not as useful for my faith as the body of Christ for you. Uh, so, again, not, not here to, to condemn other practices, but simply to say this is why I do uh, specifically the, thing, the, the way that I do it. And then, of course, we've already hinted. So, so now everything, of course, is flowing from the words of institution. The words of institution is the words of Christ have uh, accomplished uh, the making the bread and wine the body and blood of Christ. And so now everything we deal with is, uh, you know, we have the body and blood of Christ in our presence. Uh, we already said a word about the dismissal, right? Uh, that, the, that the Lord's Supper is preserving us in body and soul unto life everlasting. And what that doesn't mean is that it's going to cure your body from all earthly ills, but that it is actually the sacrament of the altar is, though, preserving your body. It's setting it apart for the resurrection of the dead. That is how the Lord's Supper preserves your body. So, so, uh, when, so when you come to the Lord's Supper with the flu, and you eat and drink the body of Christ, and you walk away and you still have the flu, that doesn't mean that the Lord's Supper has somehow not strengthened and preserved you in body. It just means that it's not cured you of the flu today, but that it's strengthened, that it's uh, preserved your body and set it apart so that on the last day, when Christ returns, uh, 
it will be raised up and brought into everlasting life. It's beautiful. And of course, it preserves our soul through, uh, through the forgiveness of sins and strengthening of faith. Uh, then we sing the Nuctimittis. That actually wasn't historically part of the liturgy. It was or not of the communion liturgy. It was part of the uh, end of the day service called Compline. Uh, because we all remember that when Simeon says, uh, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, he means, hey, I can die now because you kept your promise that I'd see the Christ. Um, so I can die any time now. It's okay. Uh, and, and of course, though, when he says that, uh, let, let, let your servant depart in peace, um, he means he's ready for death. Um, and that's why the church put it at Compton, because the last order of the day, it's ready for going to bed, but understanding that going to bed is actually a picture of death. Sleep is a picture of death. And so everything about the Compton order has to do with going to sleep, but also being prepared for a good Christian death. Um, and that's why we say this at the, uh, at the, uh, after, supper, after the Lord's Supper. It doesn't mean, all right, God, uh, I'm ready to go home now and eat some lunch. It means, Lord, I have received salvation through the sacrament, and I, therefore, am prepared to die. I have a good conscience. Go ahead. Let me die now. You have prepared me. My death would be blessed. That's what that means. And, of course, you know, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, right? We actually see, you know, uh, the, the Lord suffers a very sensory thing. So we actually see the salvation which he's prepared for us. Uh, the Nuctimus has the line about light to lighten the Gentile, which... I think is good for, as far as I know, literally all of us, that it's a light for lightning of the Gentiles. Um, and it's also, of course, for God's people, Israel. Um, and then the service ends. We have the Thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His mercy endures forever. Uh, we, we always do use Luther's prayer, except for like during the Christmas season, uh, where we understand you know, that you have refreshed us through the salutary gift, uh, that it would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and fervent love toward one another, so that there's a vertical and a horizontal components uh, to the benefits of the Lord's Supper. Then we have one last salutation, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, uh, because again, here the pastor is doing something unique to his office, that he is standing in the place of God to put God's name on the people as they leave, just as they did. In this way you will put my name on the people. And so uh, the pastor raises his hands and says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And really, that's the end of the service. We sing a closing hymn, and that's fine. But that's, we sing the Amen, pastor closes the book, we're done. Um, so if we, didn't sing the, uh, if we didn't sing the closing hymn, we would do no injury to the unity of the liturgy. But I like hymns, so I'm always going to advocate for singing more of them. Any quick questions? Uh, we have to run off uh, for church here pretty quickly. Yes, uh, Mr. Lorenz.